Hello there, fellow victims, strugglers against the great vast forces of life. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't look worried. It's all right. Everything's under control. Absolutely. Our guest tonight is Jaja Gabor. There's Vic. Hello, Victor Borga. How are you? Still doing the same old act with the piano? Yeah, all right. I'm off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. But uh, hey, listen, the other night, uh, just by just by uh, coincidence, we did a we did a thing uh, from the George Aid uh, canon. <laughs> Speaking of canons, we did a George Aid canon thing, and uh, it got a great reaction. You know, I, I'm a I'm an old Aid fan, uh, and I must I must admit that the most uh, humorous types, people who work in the field of humor professionally. And uh, and I have to concede that's what I work in. Uh, that uh, yeah, you know, oh, a lot of people don't want to be called humorous. You know that, don't you? A lot of writers. Oh no, 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 because a humorist is never taken seriously as either a performer or a writer. <laughs> oh, not by official people. No way. It's only after he's long dead and they resurrect his work that he becomes Mark Twain or uh, Ambrose Bierce and so on. But um, I would like to. Uh, I would like to do a uh, George Aid thing here tonight, if I may. You don't mind, do you? Uh, oh, you do, huh? Well, the hell with you. <laughs> you know, the back of my head here, you. Give me a little uh, humanity music, please. Just a little humanity there, please. Uh, humanity. This is uh, very provocative of mankind. Marching forward, ever upward, ever onward. Galloping and blowing his horns and waving his hat in the air, you know, with the flags flying. My God, look at those signs, the pennants and the banners, yes. We'd like to salute mankind as it goes charging towards the great abyss. I think a little juice harp wouldn't hurt you. You think so, Corny? You like that when I do that, huh? Did you like that? Uh, did you enjoy that coin? Fine. I'll, I'll uh, give you a brass figliggy with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me the commercials 
if you have recognized the commercials upon which I professionally play the Jews harp. I'm talking about TV commercials. Do you know any? Have you ever heard it? <laughs> oh, yeah, here's what I wanted to do. This, uh, this, this uh, piece of American-type music, Mankind Marching Over the Cliff, gets us started just correctly. And before we get to going with a few of these aid fables here tonight, uh, I have a couple of little commercials here for you. Here's good news for New Jersey eyeglass wearers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can get quality glasses where you shop, while you shop, at Hillman Cohan Vision Center in Brunswick Square Shopping Center of East Brunswick. Hillman Cohan. They have uh, all kinds of frames, uh, even for people, I presume, who have three eyes, uh, all sorts of frames. They've got them over there, over 5,000 of them. Uh, lenses in all tints, including photo gray and photo sun. Everything for everybody who wears specs. So do you have that little jingle in there? Hit it. Put on a happy face at your vision center. Yeah, isn't that nice? Get the great eyeglass guarantee at Hillman Cohan Vision Center in Brunswick Square Shopping Center, Route 18, in colorful East Brunswick. They can take uh, Bank AmeriCard and Master Charge, which is not bad. This is Tommy Makeup. I'm sitting in the John Barleycorn, located at 209 East 45th Street, just off 3rd Avenue. John Barleycorn is New York's first and most famous Irish singing pub. If you want a sample of what Irish hospitality is really like, you should come in and soak up the atmosphere. The hospitality is warm, the people are cheerful, and the service is just fantastic. They have an old saying at the Barleycorn, there are no strangers here, only friends you haven't met. And you can prove that to yourself by dropping in anytime. You can have lunch, dinner, or supper seven days a week. And a good time all the time. The food is fit for royalty, and as a matter of fact, some of the recipes have been handed down from the ports of Irish kings. The John Barleycorn, the Irish oasis in midtown Manhattan. And, uh, got that rice thing in there? Goody. Carolina is New York's number one rice because all those fine long grains cook up so moist and fluffy. That means Carolina tastes perfect, and so will everything you serve with it. Give your family the number one rice in New York. Give them... Carolina. New York's number one. And now Carolina has something different for rice mix lovers. Flavored rice dishes. Introducing Carolina's Bake It Easy. Four great new flavored rice dishes that cook up steamy moist every time because you bake them in your oven. There's no mess because new Bake It Easy bakes in its own steamer tray in just 15 minutes. Try all four flavors of new Bake It Easy. You'll love them because they're new from... Hey, listen, I have to admit that uh, George Age was responsible for one of my embarrassing moments. Seriously. Uh, you know, when, when you're a kid, uh, did you ever have to, when you were a kid, uh, one of the teachers said, uh, uh, now, this happens to everybody, you know, uh, you have to learn a poem or you have to come in to class and you've got to read something to the class and then you have to tell them what it means, right? <laughs> you know, you ever have to do that? And uh, they, they would, uh, uh, we had this teacher who loved that kind of stuff. Uh, Miss Robinette was, uh, everybody just hated to be in her class because she was always doing this. And uh, she loved to have to 
have kids go home and memorize poems. I don't know whether you ever had to memorize a poem when you were a kid, but that was one of the most hellish things that I remember from school, one of the really hellish things. And uh, I, I remember one particular poem that, that I had to remember, I had to learn. They called it memorizing a poem. I don't know what good it is to memorize a poem. I guess in a way I suppose it is good because most people have no memory at all. And it's a good idea to teach people to memorize things, you know? I made it when you start to think of it that way. Uh, but but uh, this Miss Robinette assigned each one of us a different poem. And, uh, you know, you had no choice. So she just said, uh, and now uh, I want you to do this one on page uh, 28, this one here on page 42, and, uh, and I was given one on page 36, and I said, no, I hated it. You know, oh, I, I used to get that sick feeling in my gut right away when they talked about the poetry part of, the, of school. I really hated it. Now, other kids love it. You know, they, 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 they romantic, dreamy type. They love that, but I didn't, I didn't go for it at all. And so on this particular moment in time, to quote Mr. Dean, I was told to memorize the following poem. I'm not going to t read the poem. I just remember the opening of it. I don't remember any more than the opening. And I, I'll tell you why I, ha I remember the opening. is because I had such a fantastically rotten time trying to memorize this poem. And my mother's got the book. She, she keeps correcting me. And I got so desperate at one point that I ran into the bathroom and locked the door. And she says, now, you're going to come out. It's not going to do any good. You're going to learn that now. You're going to learn it. If other kids can learn it, you're going to learn it. Oh, gee. She said, come on, you're going to learn Now, come on out. Now, now, listen, if you don't come out, I'm going to tell your father. Well, <laughs> and I had trouble learning the opening. Maybe, you know, Freudian the rejection. I was rejecting the whole concept. See, I couldn't even get the first line. She said, what do you mean you can't remember the first line? And I'd say, uh, uh, okay, okay, I'll start at the top. Now, let's, I'll, I'll go from the beginning again. Uh, you mean you... You can't remember the first word? Oh, come on. I don't, my kid brother's sitting there smirking. You know, he's a grade and a half behind me, and he didn't have to remember anything where he was. They were just still fooling around with finger paints. You know, all you had to remember was to keep your hand out of the pot. You know, that's about all. So, <laughs> so I, I finally got the first line, and I, I just got it by repeating it over and over and again. I would just repeat it. See, until finally I could say it without even knowing it. It's like... Uh, you know, like songs that you repeat. You don't think of the term, you know, the, what the words mean or anything. So the, the poem went like this. I tear her tattered ensign down. Long may it wave on high. That's the, that's the opening. That's, that's all I'm going to tell you because that's all I remember. Do you remember such a poem? I tear her tattered ensign down. Long may it wave on high. Well, there were 94 other verses, at least, to this thing, and I had to remember them all. And uh, it had to do with a boat. This, this had to do with the boat, see, and what the boat was, was a very famous boat. What boat am I talking about? I tear her tattered ensign down, long may it wave on high. Now, that doesn't make much sense when you stop to think of it right there. I tear her tattered ensign down, long may it wave on high. But that's the poem. Well, I used to get so bugged, you know, at, at having to learn this stuff. So about halfway through that last semester with Miss Robinette, she says, now I want all of you to bring in something 
from home to read to the class. It could be a poem. It could be anything. Well, you know, all the kids brought stuff, and so I, I my, my family had this. We had this. Uh, we had this bookcase, see, and in the bookcase were all the stuff that my old man read, and uh, you know, the books my mother read, and they had nothing to do with the books I read. See, it's a totally different scene, and uh, so I, I figured I was going to get something official out of the bookcase. Well, now I could have taken. Uh, there was a great book there called The Claw of Fu Manchu. Now, I could have read uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that was a goodie. Uh, we also had a collection of books with titles like uh, Chi. Did you ever see that one? Chi by H. Ryder Haggard. It was made into a movie. And uh, there was this one book. Yeah, this book. Now, where these books came from was my, <laughs> my old man. He was not a reader type. I'll have to tell you this. There was not, the, the, he was not a reader type. But he bought some bookcases once at a used furniture store, and all these books came with it. Okay, this is W.O.R. New York. Now, don't put them down. Do you know that I know one store out in Jersey where you can get wallpaper that looks like the backs of a beautiful collection of contemporary literature, ranging all the way from Philip Roth through J. Bruce Friedman on back and forth by way of Norman Mailer, and I'm even on one of them, which I consider kind of great. And you could, yeah, you can buy this wallpaper. You just put it up, it looks like your whole room is, is just filled with these magnificent volumes. And what's good is that they don't have to keep, you know, like regular books, they don't have to be dusted. And uh, you don't have this feeling of, uh, of uh, guilt that you got all these books and you haven't read anything but TV Guide. You know, and, and even then you didn't read that. The only time you read that was once they had this piece about Lauren Green, you know, inside the life of Lauren Green in three parts, a major profile, that kind of thing. And uh, so you feel guilt when you've got a book around you haven't read. You, you agree with that. This is a subtle kind of guilt, especially if it's a 795 book that's thick, you know. <laughs> and it looks very official, like a rise and fall and decline of the West, you know. And here you are sitting there squatting in front of, your, of the boob tube watching the Knicks. And so uh, you can buy wallpaper. And, of course, you can change it, you know. You can take this wallpaper down. It's, just, it's this stick-on kind. You can just, you know, zip it off, see. And uh, if you get tired of looking at books uh, of contemporary nature, you can zip it off, and you can put on a classical library. You know, you can go all the way from Aeschylus all the way on up through, uh, oh, you know, uh, Bertrand Russell, Henry James, the whole great mob that wrote all the fantastic uh, literature that comprises the, the Western world. You know, uh, everything's there. And it just comes, it's only about $6 a sheet. And for, for culture, that isn't too, too bad. I mean, if you live in New Jersey, uh, you need a little something. Now, if on the other hand, <laughs> you, you, you're getting tired of uh, that, you know, you can get wallpaper like this. You think I'm kidding you. You can get wallpaper that looks like you've got a window in the room. You can get wallpaper that looks like you've got a big picture window that looks out, let's say, on the Caribbean. And you can see the ocean there. And uh, you can see a, a cruise ship or something out there in the distance, you know. If, if, you, if you don't want to look at Route 22, you can... Now, on the other hand, if you live, say, in Jamaica, and you get tired of looking out at the ocean all the time, that can be a drag. You look at it, you know, for 115 years. You can get wallpaper that looks like you're looking right out on Route 1 in Secaucus. A lot of rotten-looking bars, you know, and used car lots and all that. And uh, so, you know, what the hell? I mean... <laughs> Oh, sure. Uh, you know that, that, that uh, there's a, a, uh, 
there's a uh, an air conditioning unit now that is available. Now, now you think I'm making this up? That's unfortunate. There's most people do, but there is a an air conditioning unit that is available. It has taken cognizance of the fact that people uh, are are uh, are like goldfish. Do you know? You know what you do with a goldfish? Any kind of a fish. You ever have a goldfish? Corn? Did you ever own one? You've had fish though. I mean, you know, in a tank, right? Okay. You know that what you do with a with a fish. You, you have to be careful about his environment. And, and you don't just take, you know, a tank, fill up with the water, and throw the fish in there. No way. The fish has to get used to the water. And, and, and some fish just never do, you know. And so, so uh, people are like this. It never occurred to you that, the, that if, if I were to take you right out of South Plainfield now, or, uh, you know, East Patchog, or, uh, say, uh, uh, 114th Street, or wherever it is you happen to be hanging around right now, and you're a lifelong resident of that, and I plunked you down into a Monon, Indiana, you'd get the twitch. You'd get the twitch, man. I mean, it would take you a, a, a hell of a long time to acclimate yourself. Not to even just the, the, the obvious thing like the food, but to the sounds in the air, the smell, the way the water tastes. You know, when you're putting some water in your bourbon, that makes a taste. I mean, uh, the way the local beer tastes, the way the, 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 the accents of the people are, all this stuff makes you profoundly nervous. Uh, you don't even, you can't put your finger on it. So this air conditioning company now has an air conditioning unit that you can set up. It's got a little tank in it. You can, you can select aromas that will, that can be, that this air conditioning unit just sprays out at you that is, is in a sense, suggestive of your earlier environment. So if you grew up, say, living in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and at night when you'd open the window, you would smell the sea, right? If you lived in New Bedford, there it is. Now, all of a sudden, you find yourself living on 28th Street. Well, you open the window, and what do you smell? Jersey, right? So... Uh, <laughs> this this is very easily taken care of. You have this air conditioning unit that fits in the window, and you set it to uh, C. You set it over there, and uh, you can you can even select what time of the year. You know, the C smells different different times of the year, as you know. You can set it C late spring, see? and then uh, turn the baby on. There you are, and you begin to calm down. Now the reverse, of course, is true. Very true. Oh, let me tell you, many, uh, many a New Yorker gets the twitch when he wakes up in a place like Olathe, Kansas. Why? Well, because he's used to the, just the general atmosphere of New York. You, it's so much part of your ingrained life. It's ingrained deep in your marrow of your bones. You don't even know you're used to it. So you can now get, you can get the essence of Eastern Seaboard Megalopolis is what they call it. Now, that could fit New York, it could fit Jersey, it could fit Staten Island, and uh, all you do when you get to Olathe, Kansas, and there you are. What happens in Olathe, Kansas? You open the window, what do you smell? Endless prairies, heat baked in the sun. This makes a man very nervous. Very. Uh, oh, I, I remember one time sitting in a, in, a, in a train one night with a guy, a troop train. And we traveled all night long from the eastern seaboard 
traveling back out towards the great, the great vast plains, and, and dawn came up. And this guy, his name was Carlin. I always remember him. Carlin. I wonder if he's listening. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. He's from New York somewhere. Anyway, the, the, the dawn came up, and it was about 6 o'clock in the morning, and I woke up first, and I was sitting next to the aisle. He was sitting next to the window asleep. His head was down. And the train was rolling on, and we woke up. I woke up at least, and I look out, and I see nothing but the great vast plains stretching to the, to the horizon. It was the wheat fields of Kansas. Now, if you've never seen the great vast plains, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Now, to me, this was a very normal sight. You know, I just look out, oh, yeah, you know. I remember Carlin waking up. He woke up, and he went, oh, 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 hey, what's that? He said, what is that? I says, well, it's, look at it. Says, He's, whoa, wow. He, it, was, it was a frightening sight to him. It was like looking out the sea when you didn't expect to look at the sea. And it is sea-like in its own way. And so a guy living in Olathe, Kansas, suddenly, you know, uh, who's from, uh, say, uh, just say from Union City, could very well find himself really on the edge of a breakdown. If he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't take the steps, and so you can turn this thing on, it's just, it's, uh, you can set it for uh, uh, northern Jersey. And, you know, you get the smell of, uh, of uh, well, you know. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> you know, the cotton head comes drifting, and, you know, all your wonderful old old friendly smells. Now, the sounds are, 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 sounds are like that, too. You, you, you can't ignore the fact that sounds. And so a guy who, who lives up in Maine, for example, he's used to the sound the quiet sound in the distance always of wind blowing through trees in the spring and that. Well, now, you think you'd like that, of course. Would you? Would you like the sound of frogs in the distance if you live, say, here in New York all the time? Well, I don't know. You know, you, you, you can't be so quick about saying this. And so the sounds are, are, are really part of our lives. And so you can get the sound. Now, many people can't sleep when they move to the country. Over a couple of years, they have trouble sleeping. And so you can now get, in the same air conditioning unit, by the way, the sound of distant traffic. <laughs> it's just distant, you know, horns blowing in the distance, you know, occasional fist fight breaking out, you know. You know, and you hear a crash, and you, you know, the, the sound of cops chasing a bunch of guys that had just stripped the Ford, you know. And uh, it's all part of your life, you know. It's just like, I'm sure that if you didn't have a commercial, if, if, if there was no commercial, if you, one day you turned down the TV set and mysteriously all commercials disappeared, within two or three hours you'd begin to notice, you know, something's funny. You get the throbbing over your head, right over your eyes, see? That throbbing. And so to help you, you know, to keep you going, we got a few little goodies here. That's a nifty new car. How much? Oh, super. Including tinted glass? Oh, disc brakes? Uh, white wall? Reclining bucket? How about an electric clock? Don't let a lowball sticker price fool you. The true cost of a new car is the price the way you want it, not strict. The Datsun 710 comes with all those extra standards, things other cars charge extra for. Plus, full carpeting, electric rear window defogger, full wheel covers, and lots more. And don't forget Datsun's great gas mileage, low maintenance, and high resale value. Take a test drive in the Datsun 710 two-door sedan, four-door sedan, a hardtop, or the new five-door wagon soon. When you compare costs, true costs, you'll see that Datsun really does save. 
Oh, yeah. Get to know what the true cost of a Datsun is. Drop into one of the dealers in New York, New Jersey, or Fairfield County. Right. You have another goodie. Speaking of New York accents. Gramercy Park Close of 61 West 23rd Street in New York says, The president said you should shop for bargains. The problem is you don't know where. If you want high-quality men's clothing at prices that still make sense, here's what to do. Go to the sixth floor of the factory building at 61 West 23rd Street. Just go through the big iron gate. Gramercy Park will show you the kind of clothes that not only look good, they are good. They're well-tailored, they fit, and they ease the money squeeze of the middle-income man, especially the man who wears a suit to work every day. You can ease the squeeze on your clothing expenses. Let Gramercy Park show you the kind of clothing that kept these talented tailors in business for over 78 years. Gramercy Park is open to 7, Saturday to 6, and on Sunday from 10 to 5. The address is 61 West 23rd Street, New York. Okay, we'll let you off the hook for a while, right? But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny. Um, it's, it really is when... when, when, when when you think about the human being and what he what he uh, what he needs to to reassure him that he's still alive, you ever thought about that? That he's still alive and everything is normal. Now, for example, now here's a, here's a great example. I'm going to tie it in with a commercial because it's a great example of that. New York. Now, I, I I think I've lived long enough in New York and I'm part enough of New York life to have a little understanding of it. New York. I think in New York, the the kvetch or the complaint is so much part of New York that we feel uncomfortable when we're not with it, when we're not without it. And and major saints in New York are always major kvetchers. The the the, the more you the more what's a kvetch? Well, a, 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 it's kind of a whining complaint. <laughs> the more you complain, the the. the and the greater the the hero you'll be in this city. Now, as an example of that, if you if you walk into some some restaurant, say someplace, and you say just say just a greasy spoon type, and you sit down and you drink the coffee, and you say to the girl, this happened to me the other night, in a place, you say, hey, this is really great coffee. She's thrown. You know, she says, well, what what. You say, well, this is really great coffee. She looks at you very suspicious, like as if you're going to proposition her then, see? <laughs> or something. Because nobody ever comes in and says, hey, man, this is really gross, yeah? <laughs> and so you've got to complain constantly. And that's part, incidentally, of, of, a, of a larger thing in New York. Now, here's an example. Um, uh, well, New York Magazine now is based largely on the kvetch of, of always about something, see? <laughs> constantly. Now, here's an example. It says... Uh, here's a goodie. Hey, it, it starts out, it says, Now this message from New York Magazine. The Shah of Iran will be the king of the world by 1976. Sound impossible? Well, you won't think so after you read this week's New York Magazine. So it's another, another siren in the night because in it, financier and best-selling author Paul Erdman constructs a scenario of that all-too-possible future. It's fiction now, but it's based on known fact, and its implications are incredible. Erdman believes that the Shah of Iran can take over the world by 1976. In New York Magazine, he tells you how. How the Shah will neutralize the Russians, Western Europe, and the United States. 
In two days, he will take over the whole Persian Gulf area, giving him control of virtually all the world's oil. And then, Erdman writes in New York Magazine, the Shah will double oil prices, and the world economy will collapse, and the Shah will own the world. Bum, ba-dum, bum. What's his plan? Read this in the current issue of New York Magazine. It sounds a lot like the old... Uh, uh, that's a rewrite, you know. How many, how many times have you come across the plot of the sinister either Oriental or Mid-Oriental who is bound to... He, he's, he's driven to take over the world, right? All right? Can you name some of those characters? Who? I mean, fiction. Dr. Fu Manchu, correct. Who else? All right, a James Bond movie was based on that, right? Dr. No. Uh, who else? <laughs> yeah, corny. <laughs> In other words, this is a rewrite of the same thing, that the, the Catholic could take over the whole world. And, uh, of course, in New York, that, that is very, you know, that would be considered uh, very much in part and parcel with the, you know, with the way life is, because uh, uh, the New Yorker is, is always expecting the worst. And any time he gets the, you know, doesn't get the worst, he figures it's a con. And then it becomes the worst. And so uh, the, 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 the leading kvetch, in other words, if you can learn to kvetch, great. You're, you're considered a really creative, uh, uh, hard-hitting person in the yard, which is all part of the scene. Now, I, I speak of this because I'm also a public entertainer, and I know that any time I come out with a major kvetch on the show, oh, boy, like, oh, now Shepard's finally relevant. You know, he's really sent it. And so you, uh, this is, a, this is a, a part of our time. So I would suggest that if you move outside of New York, and you're not going to hear, hear a lot of that in a lot of parts of the country, because they don't have the same tradition of the kvetch um, in other areas. And that doesn't mean that they don't have complaints. They, don't, they, they just don't, uh, they don't uh, walk around. In other words, there's not as much self-pity in other parts of the country. And, uh, and conversely, there's not as much uh, self-aggrandizement in other parts. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more sensitive than all those others out there. Uh, <laughs> so this is a, this is also a New York thing. So I would suggest that when you go out there, get yourself a tape recorder, walk around any place in Sixth, uh, Sixth Avenue, Seventh Avenue, Fifth Avenue, anytime. Keep the tape recorder running for about three or four hours, and you will have recorded enough uh, uh, emergency kvetch, just general background griping, uh, so that when you get out in a place like say Olathe, you can uh, you know check into the Howard Johnson there, and you get a little nervous with all these cheerful people walking around. You can turn on the kvetch, you know, pick up your copy of New York. <laughs> You'd be right back there where life is hard, life is earnest, life is real, and ain't we great? Uh, would you please hit the button, please? Oh, come on, sing. Come on, don't be a sore head. Right. It's your old favorite. You'll Someday you'll own. This thing is getting Someday to be a part of your life, isn't it? Someday you'll own the... Oh, oh. you'll own General's. Hey, whether you drive a sports car, sedan, compact, or limousine, General Tire has the tires you need at prices you can afford. And they have all kinds of beautiful tires. They're round and rich and beautiful smelling, and they just great tires. Quality that assures you dependability with every tire you buy. And you'll find that at the General Tire headquarters. Sooner or later, you'll own General's. And in Plainfield, it's General Tire Service at 815 West Front Street. Stop and ask for Big Herb. And sing right out loud, right at him while he's eating his blimpy. Sing it to him. Let him know that you're patriotic, too. Sooner or later, you'll own General's. Yeah, yeah. Sooner or later, you'll own General's. Sooner or later, you'll own 
generals. This is the fable of the visitor who got a lot for $3. And this is what I read one time in Miss Robinette's class, and I was innocent. Innocent, innocent. I knew no more about George Aid than you, dear walking around citizen, know about Ambrose Beers, which is practically nothing, right? The fable of the visitor who got a lot for $3. How many of us? How many of you tonight? The, the, the power of the human being to believe in any passing, quote, science. Grasp it and pay great amounts of money for it. I mean, how many people every, every week, every Wednesday, go to a little office over on, say, East 72nd Street, lie down on a couch and blab away for about 45 minutes? And the guy rings it up, 55 bucks, and you come back next week and do it again, right? Oh, all right. And uh, it's, oh, it's, hell, it's great, it's great. The fable of the visitor who got a lot for $3. Mr. A discusses that particular human tendency in this fable. The learned phrenologist. Now, you know what a phrenologist is, don't you? Well, he was a scientist that they believed in in the 19th century. It was another century. Of course, they weren't as smart as we are, are they? No, no. But in the 19th century, they believed in phrenology, and guys had degrees in it, believe it or not. And uh, the phrenologist could tell you your character by reading the bumps on your head. The phrenologist, learned, of course, sat in his office, surrounded by his whiskers. Now, you know that that guy that you go over to see on East 78th Street often wears a set of whiskers to give you that, that godlike... Well, he wants to look a little bit like uh, the doctor himself. You know, old Dr. F, right? Ah, the learned phrenologist sat in his office surrounded by his whiskers. Now and then, he put a forefinger to his brow, and he glanced at the mirror to make sure that he still resembled William Cullen Bryant. <laughs> Near him, on a table, was a pallid head made of plaster of Paris and ornamented with small labels. On the wall was a chart showing clearly that the orangutan does not have Daniel Webster's facial angle. I wonder if this graph is played out, asked the learned phrenologist of himself as he waited. Is science up against it or what? Haven't had a customer in days. Then he heard the fall of heavy feet and resumed his imitation. The door opened, and there came into the room a tall, rangy person with a head in the shape of a rocky Ford cantaloupe. Aroused from his meditation, the learned phrenologist glanced up at the stranger as through a glass darkly and pointed significantly to a red plush chair. The easy mark collapsed into the boarding house chair, and the man with more whiskers than Darwin ever saw stood behind him and carefully ran his fingers over his head, tarantula-wise. Well, well, said the learned phrenologist. Well, hmm. George, there's enough benevolence here to do a family of eight. This is fantastic. Courage. Great Scott, feel... That courage, why, Admiral Dewey's got the same kind of lump right over the left ear. Feel it there? Oh, yes, love. It's just a, this a, a tremendous head. This is a... And, and here, oh, here uh, the, the sensitivity bulge. Feel it right there, back over your collar? That's sensitivity. You have more sensitivity to metaphysical thought and penetration than Charles Eliot Norton. This is it's a magnificent head. Can you feel it there over your left shoulder? Well, I can feel something replied the human being with a rapt smile. Yes, wit, compassion, poetic talent. Right here where I've got my thumb. It's tremendous. 
Well, you have a rare combination here in your head, sir. I don't know what your present occupation is, but you ought to be the president of a theological seminary at least. Kindly slip me three dollars before you pass out. Well, the tall man separated himself from two days' pay and then went out into the street and pushed people off the sidewalk. (laughs) He thought so well of himself. And thereafter, as before, he drove a truck. But he was always glad to know that he could have been a president of a theological seminary. And the moral of that fable is, a good jolly is worth whatever you pay for it. I think that's true. Oh, boy. I can't believe it's 7.30. It's 7.30, Marge. My first day back on the job after 20 years. I'm in bed eight hours, and I feel just exhausted. How will I get through today? Take a nap at lunchtime. Oh, sure. Then they'll be sorry they hired me. They'll think I'm too old. You should have listened to me last night when I told you to try Compose. On those occasional nights when you have trouble falling asleep, try Compose and wake up refreshed. Compose simply lets you relax and unwind so your body is able to fall asleep more easily. And, of course, by falling asleep more easily, you're going to feel better the next morning. Remember, the more easily you fall asleep, the better you feel the next morning. Harry, I'm home. How'd you do the first day at work? I think they like me, Harry. Great. Let's go out and celebrate. Oh, maybe tomorrow. I'm going to bed. And if you can't sleep tonight? I'll take Compose. Compose. Use only as directed. And remember... The more easily you fall asleep, the better you feel the next morning. Yeah, and uh, speaking of uh, celebrating, uh, we'd like to suggest you make your, or somebody here in the copy department, make your Thanksgiving dinner an occasion. Go where the knowledgeable New Yorkers go. Take Mom, Pop, and the whole family to the Press Box Steakhouse, 139 East 45th Street. And uh, they are going to serve a truly sumptuous turkey Thanksgiving dinner. That's a word you don't hear much, sumptuous. Uh, Thanksgiving. That's a 19th century word like scrumptious. Did you ever hear that word? That's another one. Turkey Thanksgiving dinner for only $7.95. That's not bad. A whole Thanksgiving dinner that includes uh, candy, nuts, fruits, all the apple cider you care to drink. And maybe if they're not looking, you can slip something in it. Call host Mike Lane at YU6-4565. <laughs> 4565, That's the press box. And you know... I've, You heard that thing that I just read, right? I read that in Miss Robinette's class. That very fable. (laughs) The kids are all sitting there. (laughs) I read this. All the rest of them were reading stuff like, uh, well, uh, Raggedy Ann, Raggedy Andy. They read a page out of the Oz book. I read this, and she sent down. It's very interesting. Would you tell us what it means now? Well, uh, a man had a head looked like a cantaloupe. He said, yes, but what does it mean? Well, uh, this uh, other guy had uh, he had a had a, a whiskers. He said, but you haven't told us what it means. Now you read the fo- what does a jolly mean? You just read the you read the moral. It says a good jolly is whatever you pay for it's worth whatever you pay for it what is a jolly oh uh, huh. uh well up to that point the word i had always thought you know it had something to do with saint santa claus <laughs> 
Jolly St. Nick. I didn't know what jolly meant, except it meant happy. Ho, 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 that's jolly. See? I said, well, uh, it's uh, like uh, Santa Claus is jolly. She says, no, no, it doesn't mean that. And I, I began to get this, this, this feeling of embarrassment, the fantastic embarrassment that I had read something I didn't know what the hell it was about. And, and all the kids were all looking at me dumbly. And at that point, Josway started to laugh. You know, ha, 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 you know. <laughs> have you ever been laughed at aloud by your fellow classmates? Of course you have. That's one of the great fears that all of mankind carries forward throughout his entire life. Can you imagine Charlie Bullard sitting there at the Equitable Life Insurance Company with all the other insurance men around and 342 insurance men are laughing at him? Oh, Charlie, like one again today. Oh, look at him. He came back. He just insured an ostrich. Oh, my God. He's sitting there. Well, uh, I, now I think I know what it's about. I'm not so sure that Miss Robinette even knew. Now I think I know what that moral means. Indeed, friends, I'd like to suggest to you that a good jolly is worth whatever you pay for it. And uh, it's wise to remember that from time to time when you're getting ready to lay something out. And then when you turn around and start complaining, you know, that's what you wanted in the first place. I mean, I wonder whether people would drink if they didn't get hangovers. I think people drink to get a hangover. Of course... Retribution for sin, all the rest of it. Oh, yeah, you could get metaphysical about the existence if you're careful. Or if you're often not careful, you'll do that. So uh, stand up, friends. Uh, make your knee work again. That's it. There, it's working. There. <laughs> uh, have you been in lately for your test, huh? Okay. okay. Positive, huh? Oh. Well, what? I, I can't figure out what is good, positive or negative. I'll have to ask Marcus Welby the next time he shows up on Channel 5. Ah, sit up there and let me rub my hands over your part. What a beautiful mind you have. Hey, this is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.